Now, last week, we saw the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness. And we saw that while Jesus was hungry and isolated and weak in the flesh, he still overcame the attacks of Satan. He knew what the Word of God said, and he knew how to apply the Word of God. We too can have victory over temptation by knowing and correctly applying the Word of God if we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Well, sometimes anyway, right? (laughs) We don't always have victory. Now, we always have the resources for victory, but we don't always have victory. We aren't perfect like Jesus, so sometimes we fail the test. That's why ultimately, if we're to have victory over sin and Satan, we find that victory in Jesus. Not only from that place of secure and certain victory in Jesus can we hope to have daily victory over temptation. You know, we don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory. And uh, understanding that will, I think, revolutionize how we approach the victorious Christian life. I used to have a guy, I think I've told you this before, who would come to me and say, Brother, I'm, I'm just not, I'm saved, but I'm not having that victorious Christian life I hear about. And so I would say, well... Are you, are you reading the Word? He'd say, well, no. I'd say, okay, we'll start reading the Word. And he'd say, okay. And then about three months later, he'd come back and he'd say, I'm, man, I'm just not having that victory in Jesus that I hear about. And I'd say, are you, are you reading the Word? No. <laughs> well, brother, maybe you ought to start reading the Word. We did that for years. It was the weirdest thing. Today, we're going to look at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We'll see today that Jesus has authority in his teaching. He has authority over demons, and he has authority over sickness. When Jesus was about to depart this world in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you may say, well, does he have authority in this place? Well, it said all authority, right? All authority has been given to me. Angie, if you want to go to that Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, thanks. There is no question about the authority of Jesus. The question, though, is how much are you submitted to that authority? There's no question about what authority he has. The question is those of us who claim Christ is our Lord, well, how much authority uh, do we acknowledge? The question for each of us to consider this morning is how well and how fully do you submit to his authority? I want you to think about why you're here this morning. Are you here because you think it's your duty as a Christian? Well, let me tell you, it is your duty as a Christian. But there's a better reason to be here. Are you here for the fellowship of your friends? Well, there's no better place to find true and genuine fellowship than the, Christ, than the body of Christ. But there's still a better reason to be here than that. I hope the main reason you're here is to worship God and be transformed more into the image of Christ. You know, that's, that's an expectation that we need to have when we come to church. Um, if you have a memory like me, I would recommend you bring something to write on because my intention, my understanding is that the Spirit of God is going to communicate through me and through the Word of God that He has written to the Spirit of God in you so that you can study it, dwell on it, consider it, and be transformed. 
most of us are not going to be transformed while we're hearing something go by and while we're thinking, well, I wonder what's for lunch. You know, <laughs> we get distracted. We gather wool. So if you want to be transformed, I would, I would recommend you take notes, you think about them, you pray about them, you dwell on them later, and you let it soak in. Now, if that's why you're here, then listen as we talk about the authority of Jesus, but then go to the next step and commit yourself to becoming more and more submissive to him. As we read our passage today, please notice with me the authority of our Lord. Let's start in Luke 4, 14, and we'll read all the way through verse 44. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding county, country, sorry, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. <clears throat> when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have we to do, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. 
And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Let's go back and look at the authority of his teaching. There are a lot of things in the teaching of Jesus that people find acceptable. You know, the golden rule, for example. If you say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, people go, okay, I mean, I might not live by that, but that's not objectionable at all. If you tell people to love their neighbor, uh, they go, okay. Um, You know, I'm not really going to pull that off, but that's a good principle. We ought to love each other, and I want my neighbors to love me for sure. And if you tell them to give to the poor, uh, they said, now that's a really good idea, especially if I'm poor, (laughs) you need to give to me. So they don't find anything objectionable in those teachings. And Jesus was growing a fan base. If we look back in verse 14, I mean 15, it says, and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And then in verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? But then there are also a lot of things that people find to be downright offensive in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was warning these folks that most of the Jews were going to reject God's Messiah and God's message. Read with me in verses 24 through 27. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them. He said, look, there were a lot of Jewish people here, but Elijah wasn't sent to them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So he didn't even go to an Israelite woman. He went to a, a woman that was outside of Israel. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, you would think maybe they would have repented and said, all right, we know that we have rejected uh, the messengers of God. We know that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, like you said, but we repent and we accept you. What What must we do to be saved? That could have been their response. Instead, what they did was, in verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. All right, so we don't get to just pick the parts of Jesus' teaching that we like and leave the rest of them. God's word is not a buffet where you get to pick the things that are tasty to you and the things that are not so uh, according to your taste, we get to leave off. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus' authority, it doesn't come from us and we can't take it away. Look with me in verse uh, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here we see the Holy Spirit is empowering God the Son to carry out the directions of God the Father. That is a lot of authority. 
Also look with me in verses 31 and 32. It says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. The rabbis, the other rabbis in Jesus' day, would take pride in the fact that they weren't adding to any of the teaching. They were referencing those who had taught before. Uh, they would they would become really good students of other people. You know, when you write a research paper in, in college or seminary, uh, you have to cite sources above yourself to be acceptable to your professor, right? You have to cite folks that have higher degrees than you to make your research paper legitimate. Well, these, uh, these Pharisees and these, uh, these rabbis would would cite other older rabbis, and that's where their authority came from. Not necessarily from the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but from tradition. And Jesus wasn't like that. You know, Jesus would take things and say, hey, you've heard it said this, but I say this. And nobody, nobody did that back in his day except Jesus. So they were astonished at the authority that he had. Now, what is our authority in this church? Well, is it the pastor? Is it the deacons? Is it the ministry advisory team? No, it is the Word of God that is our authority. The Word of God is the thing that we cannot say no to. Now, we don't get to ignore it. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to obey and what we don't. Now, really, we do get to, right? That's the problem, though, (laughs) is that we think we get to. So when we realize we don't get to, that's when we become those obedient, submissive servants that we need to be. Our society hates authority, hates authority. Autonomy is the greatest good in our society. But we cannot be like that. We can't fall into that trap. Let me illustrate the difference. If I say this year has been really stressful with all this COVID thing, and I think you guys ought to buy me a Cadillac as a bonus. (laughs) That's dumb. You should ignore that. Uh, Or better yet, you should reprimand me for it, right? That's me talking dumb stuff on my own authority. On the other hand, if I say the Word of God says we're to make disciples, we're to baptize them, and we're to teach them everything that Jesus taught us, then you need to listen and obey, not me, but the Scriptures. Jesus' teaching has authority. It has ultimate authority. Before we move on to our next point, let me add this observation. Jesus went to the synagogue. Did you hear in there when we were reading, he taught in the synagogue. It was his habit to be in the synagogue. He was always in the synagogue. The synagogues in Jesus' day were even worse off than churches are today. Folks, churches aren't perfect, but they're better off than those synagogues were. Now, Jesus didn't come up with some lame excuse not to be in the synagogue. (laughs) He didn't say there are just too many hypocrites in the synagogue. You know, he didn't say, I can worship God without organized religion. Could the Son of God have communed and worshiped God without organized religion? Of course he could. But that wasn't the plan. God's plan has always been the church or the synagogue. Okay, so the church is God's plan A and there's no plan B. So if your church isn't perfect, I understand If you find a perfect church, don't join it because then you joining it would make it imperfect, right? Because we're imperfect people. So don't make excuses not to be in church. Come to church. He didn't say, you know, Sunday is my only day off. I mean, yesterday I was uh, I was feeding the crowds and I'm just 
tired and man, I need a day off or in his day, the Sabbath. He didn't say that either. He was in the synagogue. Commit yourself to the assembly. Now let's see that Jesus has authority over demons. Verse 33 says, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice. All right, I just have to stop and point out that after what I just said about not forsaking the assembly and and coming to an imperfect church, the demon-possessed guy was in the synagogue, right? (laughs) Okay, so churches aren't perfect. Satan loves to infiltrate the enemy camp. That's no reason for us to abandon the camp. This demon was in the synagogue. Sometimes there's demonic influence in the pew. Sometimes there's demonic influence in the pulpit. But we are called to be in the church. I want you to notice the orthodox understanding this demon had of who Jesus is. In verse 34 it said, "What have we to do? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God." So he said, correctly who he was and he had a very correct understanding of what his authority was he said have you come to destroy us he didn't say have you come to try to destroy us he knew that if Jesus wanted to destroy him destroyed he would be believing some things correctly about God is different from believing God intellectual assent to God or even the gospel is different from saving faith You know, this illustration that I used to use for years with people when I'd share the gospel with them is, I'd say, you know, I believe in George Washington. I believe that he was a guy, that he really existed, that he was um, essential to the founding of our country. I believe these things about him, but I'm not trusting him to do anything for me at the moment. Now, he has done something that I benefit from being an American, but I'm not trusting him right now. I have no relationship with him right now. So just that intellectual assent to, yeah, I believe Jesus was a dude who was walking around on the earth. And I even believe he was the son of God. And I believe he had authority over demons. None of this is placing your faith in Christ for salvation. You know, I can believe that chair is over there and I can believe it'll hold me up. But the way I really place my trust on it is I go sit on it, right? We can believe that airplanes fly, but man, it's a different matter of faith when we get on the airplane, right? Because we're trusting our life to it. So the demons believe and tremble, the Bible says. So simply understanding some facts about God is not the same thing as placing your faith in him. Now look with me again at Jesus' authority. In verse 35, it says, But Jesus rebuked him, that's the demon, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Now again, see that authority? He didn't have any option. Jesus said, Come out. He came out. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Regarding evil spirits, John wrote this in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Earlier we sang this. 
And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Now, you may not really be concerned about demons, but I say they are having an absolute field day in America right now. Hatred, riots, violence, racism, covetousness are all demonically inspired and fill the news and social media every second of every day. You know, when I was, um, when I was in high school, I took a mission trip to Brazil. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I think I saw a demon-possessed woman in Brazil. We were in church, and uh, the preacher was preaching, and, and the language of Brazil is Portuguese, so I didn't understand it. I have a little bit of understanding of Spanish, and Portuguese and Spanish are related, but I was lost. <laughs> I was just listening to the brother go, and uh, this woman started having a fit up in the front of the church, and I thought, well, this lady has gone into labor or something, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but the pastor didn't blink. I mean, he just kept preaching. And some ladies went over there to minister to the lady and to take her out. Uh, I guess maybe she was possessed. It certainly seemed like an extraordinary event to me at the time. Now, in America, I believe demons are a little more civilized. Uh, They run for office. (laughs) I don't think they necessarily throw down and, and have fits like that. But demons are real. They are active. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Even if we're not concerned about demons, we are concerned about sickness right now with COVID-19 going around. So be encouraged to know that Jesus has authority over sickness. Verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now notice we said that Jesus has authority over sickness, not had authority over sickness. God can heal both through the common grace of of scientific development. You know the Bible talks about how God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So when I say common grace, I mean the grace of God that is provided for all mankind, like scientific advancement and medicine and things like that. So God can heal through the common grace of scientific advancement and medicine, but he can also heal directly. I believe that he not only can heal both ways, but that he still does. Uh, He does not heal miraculously very often, but I do believe that, again, I've been privileged to see that one time. And I've shared this with you once, but uh, one of my children said, it's been too long, they don't remember. (laughs) So let me tell you again. There was a guy who had a circulatory issue, bad circulatory problem. And he was in the hospital to have his leg amputated. There was no blood flow in the, in the leg. And you know, if there's no blood flow, you'll, you'll get gangrene and you'll, you'll get an infection and you'll die. And so the doctor said, we got to take that leg off. And of course he was distressed and he called uh, us at, at the church I was at, and he said, hey, would you get the elders to come and anoint me with oil and pray for me? And that's how that's supposed to go, by the way. 
James says that the, the sick person is supposed to call the elders. So he called us and we went over there and we anointed his leg with oil and we prayed for him. Well, that night his surgeon couldn't sleep and his surgeon called his father who was practicing. He was a vascular surgeon in Florida and he said, uh, Dad, help me out with this case. I don't feel right about this. And they talked all night. And the guy came in the next day, and the, the surgery was supposed to be, you know, that crazy early 5 a.m. or whatever when they do surgeries. And he went and he said, look, we're not going to do the surgery today. I just can't get any peace about it. And we're going to run tests again on your circulation. Well, they found that his circulation was just fine, and they let him go. And that was probably eight, nine years ago. And the man still has that leg. I'm friends with him on Facebook. Occasionally, God will heal miraculously. Now, we read earlier that everybody that came to him, Jesus healed. Well, why did he heal everybody when he was on earth and now he doesn't heal everybody? Well, Jesus was doing these miracles mostly to give authority, visible authority, to his teaching. He wanted people to understand that he was who he said he was. And I could go around claiming to be the Messiah. I could claim whatever I want to. But if I then do miracles, you might go, hmm, maybe I should listen to this guy, right? And so Jesus was verifying who he was and what he was saying by the fact that he was doing these miracles. You know, we're called to faith, but we're not called to a faith that doesn't have any substance. We're called to take the evidence and place our faith in the evidence. So Jesus was verifying who he was and what he was saying by doing these things. Man's worst and most destructive disease is sin. And he can cleanse you from that today if you will repent and put your faith in Christ. The healing promised to all believers is in the resurrection. Guys, one of these days we will all be healed. Uh, most of us have chronic conditions that we live with. One of these days that's all going to be fixed when we get a new body. So what do we do now? Well, what we do is we obey his teaching. Not some of it, not later, not when you have time, not when you can afford it. Because <laughs> guys, I hear all these, all these things. You know, I was talking to, I, I talk to Jimmy sometimes about uh, the church's finances and tithing and things like that. And unless you're super rich, one contribution from one family is not going to make a tremendous amount of difference in the bottom line here. It'll make a tremendous amount of difference in that family, though. And that's why I'm concerned about us giving. So, you know, when I was a financial planner, I had this guy say, hey, I'm a pastor, and I want you to come help me get my finances in order and help me invest for the future. And I said, okay, cool. So I met with a guy, and he had these two brand new pickups in his, in his driveway, had this nice house. And that's great. I love that, that people who serve the Lord are blessed, and, and financial blessing is a great thing. But I got in and I started talking to him and he said, one of my goals is I want to start tithing. I said, oh my goodness, I'm glad you're not my pastor, right? <laughs> so we need to obey, not when we can afford it, because we'll never be able to afford it. Not when we have time, because we'll never have time. Uh, not some of it, but all of what he says. We, do, we need to obey the Lord now and joyfully. Now that's hard sometimes, I know. But let's encourage one another to be obedient to the Lord. And, and next, let me say, don't settle for demonic faith and obedience. Demons have a perfect understanding of who Jesus is. 
their theology on the subject is far better than liberal so-called Christians that say Jesus was not God, that he was a man instead. Uh, I saw this very prominent pastor's wife the other day saying that Jesus was a man until uh, the baptism and then he became something else. Uh, that's heresy. So demons have a, more, a better understanding of who Jesus was than this lady. The demons obeyed perfectly. <laughs> I mean, right? Jesus said, come out, they came out. Now they obeyed out of compulsion. We who serve the Lord need to obey out of love and gratitude. The last thing is we need to come to Jesus for healing. Now physical healing, yes. Now you're going to get physical healing. Maybe now, maybe later. Unless the Lord heals miraculously, some of us are going to have to live with things that we don't like until we die and we get a resurrection glorified body. But one way or the other, we'll be healed. And that's not a cop-out. The Lord does heal miraculously sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. He's wiser than we are. He knows what he's doing. Emotional healing. You can come to Jesus for emotional healing. Now, again, that may not be perfect in this life, depending on what people have gone through. You may have to wait for it to be full and complete and perfect, but you can get a lot of emotional healing by coming and placing your faith in Christ. How about mental healing? Yes, there are mental problems that God may not heal in this life. Christians suffer from depression. Christians suffer from bipolar disorder. Christians suffer from things like that. But Christians get the one and only real solution to real guilt. Now, I don't know how much medication is dispensed because of guilt in this country. <laughs> but there's a tremendous amount of it. And the only real solution to guilt is real forgiveness. And you can get that when you come to Christ. Spiritual healing. Yes, you can get that from Christ. And you may have it in full right now. And we're going to sing. And uh, I want you to come and talk to me. If you would like for me to pray for you. If you are not a member and you would like to be. Or if you say... Hey, I, I'm, I have that intellectual ascent. I've had it for a long time. I've understood who Jesus was. I've even come forward and, and met with a pastor and prayed and been baptized and everything else. But I realize now I was believing stuff about Jesus rather than believing Jesus. Come talk to me and we'll, we'll get that straightened out as well. Let's stand together.